0: Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Thank you for joining us for this important episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're joined today by Dr. Adriana Sanford, who's been on our show before As a senior international correspondent, she's uh, quite versed in international law and taxation. But she happens to be a world-renowned, award-winning Chilean author on cybersecurity and global privacy law expert. Uh, She has been an international corporate lawyer, educator, and author. She currently is doing some very interesting things, which you'll hear about soon, with the University of Oklahoma. Great OU, wonderful uh, land-grant college out in Norman, Oklahoma, and the highly respected Oklahoma Sooners Athletic Program. But she is going to be working in a different area of the university in intelligence and national security. So we are always thrilled to have Adriana in the show because she's like this monster mind trust. Adriana, thanks for coming back (laughs) on the air with us.
1: Thanks, Tim. And thank you for that introduction. <laughs>
0: I'm glad
2: I didn't have to do the introduction.
1: <laughs> Hi, Lou. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Fine, thanks.
2: <laughs> uh, Andrea, thanks.
0: there's some interesting things going on, and there's a couple of areas we want to touch on today. The first one is, you know, we've all, we've all been sitting at home watching the news. We know a lot about COVID-19, at least what we're given by the news. but Not a lot of people, unless you're in the supply chain, know what it's doing to the supply chain. Uh, What, in your opinion, have been some of the impacts on the supply chain from COVID-19 on a global basis?
1: Well, it's clear, I mean, I think to the world, because when you go to the supermarket (laughs) and there's nothing there, um, that it is affecting us and that the virus is affecting not only our health, but it is affecting our ability to get to buy products and uh, which is extremely concerning. And perhaps what has happened is this pandemic has forced many companies and I would say even industries uh, to actually look at and maybe transform their supply chain model. They're realizing at this point that any weak link um, be it because the You know, the supplier, one of the suppliers is in a territory where they are shelter in place or where they have been hardest hit. Uh, They no longer have certain uh, raw materials or they're not able to get their finished products. There's this this high dependence on foreign countries uh, to fulfill these needs has made companies realize uh, that they need to take a look at that supply chain model.
2: Uh, Adriana, one of the things that we've noticed uh, as the supply chain uh, model has uh, evolved over the years, at one time you wanted to go out and you know, you know, buy a car, and you go buy a car, and the manufacturer uh, would have all uh, uh, components to be able to build a car. Well, today, uh, because of uh, the the supply chain new new world order. Um, you may have ten thousand different vendors to supply you with nuts, bolts and wire and steel and so on to put together these automobiles. So it's that's become a huge problem and especially now with uh you know, the coronavirus, is that uh you may not be able to get all these parts and you'll have a car that only has half the nuts and bolts. <laughs> so there's that's a
1: possibility.
2: We have a quality issue.
1: It it is. It's a very big concern because, I mean, we can go on and on about the the concerns because if, okay, let's take that hypothetical and go even further. Let's say you realize one of your suppliers, you're missing a bolt or you're missing a a certain uh, widget uh, and you scramble and at this point you buy it from somewhere else. Remember, we also have an issue with counterfeit out there, counterfeit products, which is another hot topic and another global threat. So right now, you're running a few different risks because you are scrambling to supply um, goods for the world. And at the same time, if there is a supplier out there, you know, we have well over 200 of our Fortune 500 companies had a presence in one. And that is where the virus was first reported last year. They were, hard, they were hit hardest. And I don't know if you saw it today, but the New York Times uh, said that the death toll uh, here has now been raised by 50%. So the issue is if you have a supplier that is not supplying, you have to be careful that your executives don't reach out quickly and go somewhere else and end up with counterfeit. And all of a sudden, you've got products out there that don't work. I mean, this can be a huge issue. Think about thermometers. You know, we need thermometers. And and if somebody is manufacturing the thermometers, are they going to work correctly? What about the masks? We don't want parts in that mask that are counterfeit because counterfeit is not generic. And, you know, people that are rushing to buy products on the Internet have to realize that a lot of what's on the internet is not legitimate and counterfeit can kill. People that make counterfeit products are not concerned with your safety. They're just concerned with selling something that looks like the product you want. So to the extent you don't see something in the store and you go online, you got to be careful, especially if you're trying to protect your health. So that that's just one issue. I mean, another issue and a totally other Side of this, besides the global threat, you know, the pandemic and the counterfeit, you've got the cyber issue. Everybody is now working from home, shelter in place, working with third parties, with suppliers. This is going to be a real um, concern. Data leaks, you know, and, uh, and, and, and how are you going to protect your employer, employees, you know, at this point? Whose computers are they using? You know, are they yours or are they, you know, does the, there's a company on the other end, the third party, are they giving computers to these employees? You know, there are a whole bunch of different issues. Uh,
2: are you familiar with uh, NIST 80171? It's a, a cyber uh, uh, program uh, to protect uh, the Department of Defense and the Department of Energy uh, for you know against cybersecurity. security. Um, that's been around for the last four years, but this year they're going to make it uh, absolutely mandatory that if you want to do business with the DoD or the DOE, that you must be compliant with NIST 80171. Here's the problem: your your uh, computer networks and your cell phones all have to be within certain guidelines. And and you're right. If people are working from home. Well, they could be using uh, uh, Harry's uh, son's uh, computer that's loaded with all kinds of viruses, and here you're doing work for the Department of Defense. So this is going to be a major problem as well.
1: Right, right. Well, and it's not only, you know, maybe your son clicking on different uh, ads or whatnot. It could be something as simple as the fact that you're Concerned about your loved ones, and you are shelter in place somewhere else, and somebody has a birthday, and so you decide to upload uh, Zoom. You know, the Google does not permit their employees to have Zoom on their laptops because there have been many vulnerabilities, and all universities or a majority of them right now that are teaching online are using Zoom. So, you know, it's it, it, putting Zoom on your computer to to reach. You know, your friends and your family could be could be a, a situation that all of a sudden allows for leaks and whatnot. There are so many things that we do unconsciously that could actually create a leak. Um, if you're a, if you're an, if you're a lawyer, you need to be careful with the OK Google and the Alexa in the house, as you are giving private, you know, confidential attorney-client information. Uh, the same thing is with banks. You have to be very, very careful and realize that there are other devices in your home that may actually create an issue for you and for your company. So
2: that's an interesting point about Zoom, because um, I, I have heard that they've had some security issues, and here companies are, you know, they're they're, they're buying into the Zoom. Uh, world and using it for all kinds of uh, uh, purposes that would be uh, anti beneficial to the u s government
1: mm-hmm. there there have been originally there were reported zoom bombings which basically you would be teaching or or, or presenting online and you would have people appear uh, that were not supposed to be there you know like photo bombing and then there were also reports of your your meetings and presentations appearing on the internet because they were able to get them to download them. So imagine you're in the middle of a serious meeting and highly confidential information and it appears to everyone in the world. So there have been concerns. Uh, Zoom has taken steps to try to fix these issues. And you know, now they're requiring passwords for people that are uh, uh, getting into meetings but it is a concern and you have to realize that this company, you know, it went from 10 million to 200 million, you know, hits a day. So the the virus, this is, this was the go-to place for executives, for families, for friends to get together in a, you know, this uh, imperative work at home uh, shelter in place situation that we have. So, you know, these are concerns, Um, but you know, there, there are many others. There is, there's the concern of how to protect that supply chain operation. How do we make sure that our suppliers are, are, are staying healthy? You know, are they actually educating their employees? And on, you know, with regards to this uh, coronavirus, you know, with regards to preventing it, and how about with regards to the symptoms? You know, do they have them? I'm sorry, Uh,
0: another area that you are incredibly versed in is cybersecurity and privacy law. Uh, Right now we're hearing on the news that the government is trying to look at ways to manage the tracking of this virus in the population. And I have to imagine, even though we have as a population in the U.S. and other countries as well, Quietly accepted some things like your business is closed down. uh, You're going to shelter in place at home. There are certain things you can no longer do, which may all be violations of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Now the government's talking about maybe we can track the progress of this uh, virus with cell phones. And where does that put employers and employees and people in general in their privacy? I realize it's for a good reason, but well, that, where do we right, go from
1: there? Well, this is actually a very good question because a lot of people and a lot of companies right now are very concerned because, on the one side, they want to make sure that they're doing what's right in order to stop uh, the virus, in order to protect everyone from the spread or further spread. I mean, the death toll continues to go up. And at the same time, you know, on the other side of their shoulder, they're thinking about the fact that they've got the GDPR, you know, the General Data Protection Regulation that just came out in Europe in 2018, and with all those big fines uh, that they've been hearing about or reading about and hopefully not experiencing for violations. And the new CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, which actually was enacted in uh, January 2020, and it's supposed to start being enforced this summer, which is different. And, again, it deals with the privacy, in that case, of the residents of California. So, yes, it is a huge concern because they're thinking, how do we respond? What do we do? What's appropriate? And the answer is, with regards to the GDPR, there's a carve-out for pandemics. Um, And for gathering information, you know, the, the, this new normal is not normal. And what companies and executives need to realize is it's okay to give information at this point, but the laws are not lax. None of the laws have been lax. So you've got to be careful with what you're giving and only give a minimal amount. Um, And that's, that's really, really important because the steps that you're going to take to protect your company, to protect those employees. And let's say, you know, right now nobody is traveling, but those companies may have data location. They may know where their employees have traveled to in the past. And, uh, you know, different countries are dealing with this differently. They're, I've heard of, com- you know, countries uh, like in Italy where they were using, uh, they were checking temperatures as the employees came in. Uh, or asking them for self-declaration forms in other countries to declare whether they've traveled to places where there is a high risk of uh, contamination. All these are very, very important points. Now, with regards to the government, the government can use location data And before the virus. There were some issues with the Ubers and the Lyft where Uber did not want to give location data. Lyft gave it but was concerned about privacy. Well, now with this virus, this has become one of the forefront issues, location data. Do we share? Don't we share? You know, how much do we share? So, yes, that is a very, very hot topic. And I would say you really need to understand who it is that's asking you for this information. Is it federal? Is it state? At what level? And is it a formal request? If it is a formal request, uh, that is very different than an informal situation. And I would say, you know, if you receive a formal request, go back to your policies and procedures and take a look and see what's in there. A lot of this is a time that you need to really, really be careful and uh, figure out what does that policy say. The policy may say we have that information. Yes, we collect that information on geolocation data and, and, you know, we have travel and and, and all this information. And maybe it is of interest to a third party uh, with regards to this virus, but we need to consider before sharing that information what that policy says. Is it sufficient not only to the fact that we collect the information, but how we are going to use it or share it? So, so that's a really, really important point. And you you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: You you brought up uh, some incredible points of uh, points of concern. Uh, We don't have points of solutions. Uh, Do you have any particular thoughts on any of these issues of how certain things are going to be resolved?
1: I I do, Lou, but mind you, I am not giving legal advice on this show, so we need to keep that in mind. I'm just getting some thoughts and some guidance here. Um, First of all, with regards to those policies and procedures, if we don't have policies that, look at all your policies, you're going to have probably multiple policies, you know, employee privacy ones and, uh, you know, some external uh, facing website privacy policies and whatnot. But to the extent That privacy policy does not sufficiently describe the personal information uh, in the way that you intend to share it. First, update prior to collecting, or if it doesn't tell you about the collecting, or prior to sharing that information. Uh, You can update it or you can provide a supplemental privacy notice. You will actually see now companies doing that. When you're working, all of a sudden something pops up. And it says, as a result of the uh, COVID uh, uh, of the COVID nineteen, you know, this is this, this is happening. So companies are starting to do that, and it's really really important. There are steps that you need to take, um, you know, when when you're going to collect, when you're going to use it, and when you're going to share it, and make sure you're doing that. Updating of that policy before you take that step. Well, that's. Uh... <laughs> It's a complex problem,
2: and I presume that it's all going to be complex solutions. Uh, I think that at some point, though, that uh, you know, as long as we trust our government, that if they gave us some guidelines, uh, which some people within the government don't want to take the responsibility of those uh, guidelines or suggestions on how things work, uh, that could lead us to a longer more prolonged issue of concern
1: well you that's why I'm saying with regards to sharing information you need to make sure that the information you're sharing is kept at a minimal amount uh, minimal amount of personal information uh, to assess a person's own health personal health and their potential exposure and if you do that, you know, you, you, you should be okay. Again, this is not legal advice. You know, if you learn right. an employee or, or a customer has tested positive, and, uh, again, this information is very, very important. And uh, you may disclose that information, but it depends on the intended recipient of the disclosure. Where are you going with this, and how are you going to give that information? It's very important to share it, but depending on your locations, depending on your jurisdictions, what you know, the laws of different countries uh, compete and conflict with one another. Sometimes, another another very important point is what you're doing depends on how many employees you have as well. You know, a company that employs 10 people versus a company that employs a thousand, you know, it, they may have a different reaction as to how they protect and uh, those, those employees. But keep in mind that the laws are out there and you know class actions, if you just go into Google and type in class actions, COVID, they're popping up for all sorts of things and they're gonna continue. So you really need to be mindful of the steps that you're taking. Make sure that you're looking at whether there's a valid purpose, whether there's a legal obligation, you know, what jurisdictions are you in? Are you in the United States? Are you talking about suppliers somewhere else and you're going to be disclosing this information? And, and don't forget reputational issues because if it is perceived that you did not share information that the government was needing, you could face um, public relations backlash later. You know, people may say that you were uncooperative in stopping the virus. So... Um, be careful with that. You know, I've heard of some companies, and this is kind of crazy, but we have a shelter in place and some companies didn't have enough computers for their employees. And because that shelter in place is not being enforced, even though there may be provisions that say uh, you may face jail time or significant fines, you know, $1,000 or whatnot, they were actually having their employees go to work. Well, that's a big mistake because first of all, Those employees working under those conditions, have you ever heard of intentional infliction of emotional distress? (laughs) Being at work wondering whether the person in the cubicle next to you has the virus? You know, we're looking at some major issues here. We're looking at reputational harm. If it gets out to the rest of the world that you are forcing your employees to go to work, you know, think about it. Short-term and long-term, what you're doing is, is going to have a major repercussion on your company and, needless to say, with regards to the spread of this virus. Uh,
2: Something came to mind uh, uh, to me just a moment ago that in in our metals business, All Metal and Forge Group, uh, we are uh, required in many cases to sign uh, NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, with our customers. Um, The question that comes to mind is uh, what – what kind of obligation do we have if, in fact, there's an issue with regards to a company that may have uh, undue amount of uh, viruses, and the government says, "Well, you know, who are your vendors, and I want to know what uh, what's going on between your two companies," and they approach the company, and you 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 refuse to give the government or any state issue uh, state facility. Uh, information. Do you, do you have a, a legal obligation to give that information and <laughs> the if best. You do yeah the best. Does, an NDA, does that NDA put you in you know real risk?
1: What you're talking about are multi-jurisdictional concerns and they have been around for years way before this pandemic and the best you can do in a situation like that is get a really good lawyer that understands the jurisdictions you're in, there is something called noncompliance. And sometimes you have to uh, realize that the laws conflict and compete. And one country will ask you to do something and another country will say that you can't. You know, we saw this with the Microsoft case, and we talked about that one a long time ago with regards to the DOJ. We talked about the Apple case with the iPhones. FBI, And and, and now we're talking about it here. Now you're throwing in here a contract. You're talking about a non-disclosure agreement. So in a situation like that, you want to make sure that your lawyer is aware that that exists and basically gives you the best advice. The advice will depend on a lot of factors. And one of the big ones will be also that you cannot avoid is if there's a country that's asking you for information, is there criminal liability if you don't respond? That's something that always concerns me, and I want to make sure to point that out. Whenever, you know, Tim Cook raises the issue that sometimes you have to break laws because they conflict and compete with one another, these are some of the real serious concerns that are out there. You know, how am I going to deal with that? Now, you mentioned. Contract. So we have to mention on the show the force majeure, which is the big concern of non-performance right now. A lot of companies are having issues because the third party is not performing, and they have this force majeure clause. What does the first this force majeure clause mean? Well, force majeure is uh, there's a major force that basically has stopped you or prevented you from performing. And this is a typical boilerplate language that you would find in a contract if that contract was actually reviewed by a lawyer. Sometimes the business teams get together and draft a contract and have all the great bells and whistles, but they don't think about these issues. In the event of terrorism, in the event of a pandemic, acts of God, uh, these are concepts that generally... Uh, business teams getting together are not really thinking about unless they've been dealing with a lot of contracts so to the extent we don't have that in a contract it's going to be a lot harder to the extent it is in a contract what I would say is keep in mind that force majeure kicks in especially if you've got the pandemic listed as a pandemic but that is for impossibility not impractical impracticability I guess it's or or, you know for economic reasons that you cannot perform so you want to make sure that even though you've got that clause you're talking to a lawyer to see you know where exactly is your liability Um, and if you are on the other end of this you same thing you want to find out whether or not that third party can actually under what situation uh, not perform and where's the duty to mitigate because remember you have to mitigate losses Right. Does that help? <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: actually, uh, uh, you I'd, now I'd await agree that. Me that I've got to be looking at our uh, uh, policies and our privacy policies uh, in the unlikely or maybe likely event that we'd be called upon to give out information that we normally would not want to do whether it's uh, contractual information or personal information about employees, uh, that's a very important point.
1: And I'll bring up one more. Yes.
0: Well, please, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Okay, well, with regards to giving out that information, we've got one more point here that we have to consider. Let's say you find someone uh, in your company or someone that you know that you learn about that has tested positive uh, for this virus and this information, after your due diligence, you realize that you are going to disclose it, do you need to then disclose to the person uh, that you have actually disclosed their information? Under what duty, under what grounds, uh, do we disclose that that information has been provided to a government agency? Um, And do we need to inform others that we share this information besides that employee? The answer to that depends and again i'm going to um um stress the fact that you know there this is a case-by-case basis but if you've got individuals that are located in california remember we have that ccpa and provided there's no exception under the ccpa that applies the company would be required to provide the California resident with information about the categories of personal information that they shared, the types of information and the types of third parties with whom it was shared over the last 12 months. So this would include government agencies. So, um, you know, this is something that you want to think about. There are, of course, some entities that are exempt from the CCPA, You know, that are, you know, the HIPAA covered entities and uh, are are exempt from that. But if you're not under one of those groups, you know, this is something CCPA is there. And it's something you have to consider.
0: Adriana, you have been on our show previously talking about the differences in privacy enshrined in law or constitutions or our Bill of Rights. In the U.S., it's an expectation of privacy. In Europe, my understanding is it is an actual right to privacy, and you bring up HIPAA. And earlier in the show, you mentioned, and if I take this out of context, please correct me, that there is a carve-out for pandemics. Is there a carve-out for pandemics somewhere written in the Constitution that I missed?
1: No, no, no. I'm talking about with regards to the GDPR. We are talking about um, we are talking about businesses concerned because the GDPR basically says uh, that your information. The GDPR is coming from Europe. It it came into effect in May 2018, and it affects. Remember, this this uh, the, it has a broader scope than the old directive, the European directive, and it basically affects all businesses in the United States and in the world that. Not only have a presence in Europe among those member countries, you know, and as far as a, a an affiliate or a subsidiary or an office or a branch, but anybody who monitors or who markets to those EU citizens, or anyone who in any way has um, sells to them, or a relationship with them. So the GDPR, which came into effect in May of 2018 basically has required certain uh, steps be taken with regards to uh, EU residents and their privacy. So this is basically what has been hot up to now and has caused a lot of issues because as we are realizing the GDPR, there are variations the GDPR and different member countries deal with violations differently. So just because you are involved in Europe GDPR, you can't just uh, apply your compliance uh, uh, priorities. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not one size fits all. Some regulators are more active. Uh, some have larger fines. Some focus more on certain non-performance and certain non-compliance. So really your, your compliance officer has to really know these countries and know about the GDPR. Now, with regards to that, there's a carve-out, Because the big concern is, with regards to disclosure, is this going to trigger GDPR? And that's what I was talking about.
0: Okay, okay. This is uh, certainly concerning for uh, executives and owners of companies, including uh, Lou's company, um, at his size and multinationals at their size, trying to communicate correctly to their employees what they're dealing with, whether it's supply chain issues or privacy issues. Wow. Any recommendations to those owners and executives on how they manage this?
1: Yes. Well, I I think it's important uh, to realize that there are over 100 countries out there that have privacy laws and that it is not all GDPR. And we have, you know, everything from the way the U.S. deals with privacy Uh, To China, which is in the middle, they they came out 30 years later with privacy regulation after the U.S., Uh, and and, and then you've got the GDPR, which it started with the European directive in the mid-1990s when the Internet came out, and now they revamped it uh, in 2018, and that's the strictest for privacy that we see, but there are a whole bunch of variations and spin-offs. We also see the CCPA is out there. So for an executive stressing with this, you're not alone. Uh, Businesses, we are all in the same playing field, and we all have these issues. So the issue of noncompliance is out there. It's a word you've got to get comfortable with. And I would say with regards to how to manage this, first of all, you probably want a data protection officer if your company is large enough. And Another thought is you want to train and educate those employees. There are a whole bunch of different trainings that you can go to. There are different international organizations that provide those trainings. So you should make sure that your employees are members, depending on their, their, um, their position. You know, you've got them for compliance officers, you have them for general counsels, you have them for CISOs and CIOs. So that's a good way to get information and to keep up to date on what's going on and where the laws are changing. But on top of that, you have to do your own homework because if you're in a senior position where you may end up in jail for criminal, you know, criminal liability for things that pertain to you, you better know those laws in those countries. And that's something that you don't want to leave to anyone else. Yeah, no doubt.
2: Well, I will, I will tell you this, uh, Adriana, that while we've been sitting here talking, I have already sent an email to my law firm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we need some executive training, too. <laughs>
2: That's exactly right. So the first thing you should do is call your lawyer. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well,
1: and remember that not all lawyers are the same, Lou, because... I understand. You know,
2: There's I mean, good ones and bad ones.
1: You've got a good one. No, but this is, this is another very important point. You know before the word global was the word everybody loved to use today the word is security and you will find so many people out there claiming to be security experts or claiming to have the legal knowledge in a certain area so you know, we have to be very, very careful in selecting. In the same way that you're very careful in selecting your doctor if you're going to have surgery, you, ha- you can't just go to any lawyer that says that they know what they're doing or any security person to come in, any professional, and fix your computer and fix these viruses and, 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 and secure you. Um, in Singapore, they're requiring licenses for security professionals. And there's a big debate as to whether this country, we should have the same given the amount of cyber attacks and the amount of issues that we're experiencing. The concern is, yes, that would eliminate those people that are really not, uh, don't know what they're doing, but at the same time, you may have some very, very good individuals that really don't want to go back for a license that we may lose. So there's, there's the good and the bad, the, you know, the, do we want innovation? Are we going to push one way? Are we going to push the other? that in mind when you are hiring, and I'm not saying your lawyer. Your lawyer probably is on point and knows exactly what he's doing. But for the listeners, be careful when you're choosing your lawyers or somebody to come in and help you with those cyber issues.
2: Point well taken. Point well taken. Thank you.
0: Well, Adriana, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Uh, and for our listeners who uh, want to listen to this episode, one of the things you should go through when we post it will be Adriana's bio. She doesn't have one. I think, if I have the number correct, you have three law degrees, Adriana?
1: No, that's Bruce Segaris, has three. I have, well, I have multiple. Uh, degrees. I have a JD and I have two LLMs. Bruce Segaris has three LLMs. So, uh, <laughs> if anyone's counting.
0: The <laughs> <laughs> bottom line is you know what you're talking about, and we
1: appreciate
0: always having you on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks, thanks, Lou. Thanks, Tim. Thank you,
0: Adriana. And we have been speaking with Dr. Adriana Sanford. Uh, she has uh, a, a an incredible curriculum uh, that you should take a look at uh, at msgtalkradio.com when we post this episode. We've got a lot of additional information that we will post with it. And we will be doing some things in the future with Dr. Sandford. So stay tuned if you're interested in this area, and we'll keep the information coming out there to all of you and particularly to uh, the students of the great University of Oklahoma in Norman, by the way, nice campus out there. So put that on your shortlist to visit for this fall. And as always, we appreciate all of our listeners listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio.
1: Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com.